in one word, as it relates to cider, I want you to describe each of those, those, like, how would you describe Washington in one word as it relates to cider? Washington State Podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. My guest today is Emily Ritchie. Emily, you are known as the Executive Director for the Northwest Cider Association. Thank you for being here and welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. So as before we hit record, and I was joking with you about, you know, Oregon and that, but for the sake of this episode, I think it's really important that you tell us about the Northwest Cider Association, even if it means we have to talk about Oregon and Idaho and British Columbia. So yeah, really briefly, you know, we'll just like dip our toes in, travel around and then go back to Washington. I love it. So Northwest Cider Association, we are a nonprofit. We're a trade association set up to support cider makers here in the Pacific Northwest. And we were founded in 2010. So really not that long ago, but if you can think way, way back to 2010, um, there were only seven cideries in the whole Pacific Northwest at that point, which blows my mind because today we're what 12 years into it or so, um, there are close to 200. So it's been an enormous growth, but back in the day, because there are only seven cideries, we decided to work together across state borders, as well as country borders. So not only are we talking Oregon here, but Washington, (laughs) Idaho, Montana, and we include British Columbia. So we've got friends making cider in the Okanagan Valley. We've got folks in the Applegate Valley. We've got the Bitterroot Valley. So it's really fun to talk apple varieties, growing styles, um, terroir, the actual drinkers, you know, we have so much similarity in this whole region that we're like, well, if we're founding this group, let's work together. Let's work across these borders. And the idea is we want to make sure a quality of cider is really high, right? We want to make sure all the cider that's hitting the shelf is the best we can make because everyone seeing one cider from Oregon is going to sort of equate that with like all ciders in Oregon or all in the Northwest. So we're all in this together. We want to make sure there's a lot of education around cider. Um, You know, it's so new. Like I said, we exploded out of the gate. We want to make sure people really know what apple varieties are or growing regions are or the history of apples. And the other thing is my goal is to make sure there's good community around cider makers. We're not competing against each other in this tiny, tiny little bathtub that is our market. But we want to make sure that we're we're all working together to talk cider and grow this market together. That's very cool. First off, let me ask you. I got. I'm going to warn you. I'm throwing you under the bus with the second question. The first one I think is kind of easy though. I thought I read somewhere that there's projected growth that cider is going to be like 10 percent of the alcohol market in a few years. Like so, it's not just a little slice of the overall market anymore is it it's it's growing quite rapidly it is growing rapidly but you kind of it depends on what market you're talking about like globally right us mm-hmm. is drinking quite a lot of cider compared to certain other countries so england dominates by far they drink like a third of the world cider or something mm-hmm. um okay. but then if you think nationally 
Cider is generally one to 3% of the overall beer market. And we're talking all brands beer. But here in the Pacific Northwest, we're doing better than that, where we're more like six to 8%. Okay. So, you know, we're very proud of that, but you know, that's still a very small single digit number. And, you know, if it gets to 10%, we're talking of the overall beer market, not the alcohol market. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So here's the bus. Oh, if I'm going to ask you to describe each of the, okay. So you said Washington, Oregon, Idaho, British Columbia and Montana. In Montana. Okay. Mm-hmm. In one word, really, as it relates to cider, I want you to describe each of those, those, like, how would you describe Washington in one word as it relates to cider? Gosh, no one's ever <laughs> asked me that before. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I always think about it really regionally. Okay. And we can go. I'll let you go regional. The Northwest, I would say, so globally, there's a lot of rules around cider, right? Like very similar to wine. You know, if you go to France, like cider is this one thing. There are rules you have to follow. But when you think of the Northwest, we are not about rules at all. And that's really what got me into this. But um, we're very innovative. There's a lot of passion. Um, A majority of the cideries that are sort of under my wings started after 2014. So they're okay. really quite new. And uh, many of these people, um, that's their second career because they chose a lifestyle path. They really wanted to get into cider because they love it. Many people want to live on a farm and grow their own apples. Um, and so because of that, you find these ciders that are really playing with a lot of um, different nuances, different styles. You might find really traditional ciders made with apples that were bred for making cider, like these bittersweet French varieties and such. You also might find, you know, habanero and pineapple ending up in your cider. So there's, there's a lot of crossover with the beer market, right? Like the brewers are playing with that. There's a lot of fun there. Cider is super fun here because you can get every style under the sun. We're making Mm -hmm. up our own styles of cider, right? So there's, I, I love, I'm, I'm like such a two-year-old in my inner self. I hate if someone's like, that's a rule. I'm like, oh, watch me break it. So I feel like I really fit in with cider in that way. We're like, don't give me a rule. So I would say innovative, creative, playful. And I could give you that one word for each of these regions. But really, there's these, what I love, because it's my job is, is people in the industry. You know, I've got really good friends and buddies in this industry now, like over Fourth of July weekend, I was just staying at a cider maker's house over the weekend and in Port Townsend area. It's so fun to meet the people. And then you see where their passion came from and how they ended up in this industry. All right. We'll let you slide with that. Because I knew that was that was almost gonna be impossible to answer. I I mentioned it in a good natured way, not not in a bad way. I just thought it'd be kind of fun. Like, all right, so we're going to talk about Washington State and you referenced earlier that in 2010, when, when this started, there was seven cider makers in the area. How many of those were Washington state based? Um, oh, three or four, a so, good chunk. So, so a yeah. good chunk of it was Washington state. Okay. Mm-hmm. And approximately now, how many are in Washington? I would guess 70 to 80 now in the state. That's a, you know, a massive jump. Huge uh, jump. And a huge part of that is Washington grows more apples than anywhere else in the country, right? Like 60% of the nation's apples are grown in Washington state. 
And so many of those are right where you are. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are grown right where I am for the most part are dessert apples. I mean, we're not, you know, there's, they're planting a lot of, they're, they're planting acres of cider, but you know, they're still growing the red delicious and the cosmic crisp and those apples that don't lend themselves to cider quite as well as well, some of the other. When, when you're thinking of like being really creative on making cider, you've got to start with the raw ingredient and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with making cider from a dessert apple. You can, you can play around with acidity levels. So, so the three things in cider you need, right. Are acid, some kind of sweetness because you got to ferment into alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. And then you need tannins. So like a lot of wine, the tannin will be like, if you bite into a green apple and that astringency level can change depending on the type of apple. And, okay. and so when you're starting with the, the dessert apple, that's the sweetness that you need. Um, you know, the Fuji or Red Delicious, that's the sweetness you need for the yeast to eat the sugar and turn that into alcohol. So you okay. need some sugar somewhere, but then there's plenty of quote unquote dessert apples that can also give you acid. Like you think of the um, Granny Smith, right? It's great for making pies or applesauce. It's also great for making cider. And folks can take that and make an awesome cider as is, and they can play with things like yeast strains um, to, to make different flavor profiles. But then they could also like take that cider and barrel age it. They could take it and add something else that has tannins. It's not an apple, like the red currant. Some of my favorite ciders have red currant in them. And there's a lot of tannin to that and acid. And you throw that into some cider and you've got this nice balance and mix of a flavor. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't start from the premise of saying the apples okay. grown in Wenatchee don't make good cider. But I also think there's, there's tons to learn. And it's really fun to think about cider apple varieties that for centuries now, farmers have been breeding them to make, uh, you know, the tannin level they want or the acid level they want. Are you familiar with the, I think it's called the Lost Apple Project? Yeah, I love reading those, you know, associated press articles or wherever they show up. I'm like, oh, what have they found now? Yeah, one, like a month ago, one hit my wall on Facebook and I was like, I didn't know anything about them until this, this somehow, you know came to my awareness on Facebook and I was like, there's still lost apples out there. That's kind of amazing to me that, because I think so many people think of apples and they think of like granny Smith's or red delicious, something you see at Safeway, you know, you know, you might see a Fuji and, you know, but really there's literally hundreds of apple varieties. from Thousands. Okay. See, so, you know, the, uh, the, um, the variables for uh, for this are for huge. You've got thousands of apple varieties to play around with in theory to create a cider. So right. amazing. It's amazing. amazing. And the apple actually comes from the Kazakhstan region. And one day I really want to bring cider makers out there to go taste apples from the wild forests in Kazakhstan. Wow. So I mean, not Washington state related. So I want to ask a question because you, you mentioned um, the, the British consume a lot of cider. I don't know if we were recording at that time or not. So I apologize folks. If you're like, what did I come from? Um, Why do you think cider is so big in Britain in the UK? Um, I think it's a history thing. Really. They've been consuming cider for a long, long time. And so they have the infrastructure. If you go to, so you land in London, right? You fly over from Seattle, you land in London, you got to head West to the West country, which is like Gloucester, 
Gloucester, um, Somerset, um, Hereford, even down into Cornwall, that whole area, and you'll find ciders popping up elsewhere, but there's millions of trees there and they've got them set up kind of like in Wenatchee where it's, it's this production heavy space. Um, but for them, they're not growing the Fuji, the Galas, the Granny Smith. They are growing um, what's called bittersweet or bitter sharp apples, which I'll, I'll step back and give you kind of four categories of cider fruit. So you've got the sweets, which are dessert apples that we've been talking about. They, they just have the sugar in them, the sweetness, and they end up on our table and we eat them. You've okay. got the sharps that have a lot of acid in them. So uh, almost a Granny Smith would fit into that where there's a lot of acid when you bite in and that is really helpful for cider. But then you've got bittersweet and bitter sharp. And the bitter part is the tannin I was talking about. Like when you bite into a green banana, you've got that astringency. There's a lot of apples that, um, uh, that have a lot of tannins. And in fact, a lot of folks I know surprisingly have bit into uh, crab apples. Mm-hmm. And so you have that sense. You're like, oh yeah, that is a bitter apple. So crab apples are often bitter. They're also usually really high in acid. Um, and so they, you know, either people tell me they made for great, uh, uh, play as a kid where you just like picked them off and threw them at friends or, (laughs) yep. Yeah. He's raising his hand. Uh, one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, grandma made pies with them or something like that. But there's a million varieties. Like we're saying, there's, there's thousands of varieties in England that over many generations, they grew them for those bitter sharp the high acid and high tannin or bittersweet varieties, the high tannin and sugar levels to then make cider. So they've got these hedgerows and they've got tools, like they've got machinery to harvest that way. They actually shake the trees and the apples fall off and then they gather them kind of like if we've got any tennis players on here, you know, like you pick up all the balls, you've got this machine that like rolls around, picks them up and right. then you've got them in your basket. Cause if you're making cider with apples that are grown for cider it doesn't matter if they're bruised litter you're just going to bruise them more when you smash them up and turn them into juice so what i'm getting at is in england and this happens in france and spain as well they have i don't know centuries of growing very specifically for producing and for making cider and so they it's sort of an art and a science there and they also have that time where the general consumer, the drinker is like, oh, cider is a thing. They used to pay workers in cider back in the day um, because it was safer than drinking water is my understanding. Um, And then, uh, you know, now it's something you pay for. (laughs) But (laughs) in England, you know, you find cider at any pub you go to. It's just one of the things. But if you go to the West Country, that's really where they're drinking cider. My my relatives live in the north of England and in London, and they're not really cider drinkers. It's a very regional thing. Uh, okay, it's kind of like here then. I mean, the west the west country is drinking more cider per capita, if you will, and the northwest is drinking more cider per capita. A hundred percent. Yeah. But using the UK or whatever you want to call it, England, British, you know, whatever, the ciders that are being made there currently. Are you, you're kind of familiar with those, I'm going to guess to some degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. How do those ciders compare and contrast to the stuff that's being made in the Northwest? There's a huge variety. Um, 
similarly to the US, you know, there's certain big brands that really dominate the market in England and they make sweeter ciders, often from concentrates, um, and they're fizzy and sweeter and um, the English love to poo-poo on it. And I think my dad even got drunk on that growing up. My, my dad's British. So, you know, he has this had, I hopefully I'm fixing this for him, but had this idea that cider was this like sweet alco pop thing that he got drunk on as a teenager and he didn't want to go back to it. Um, they have that, but then they have these really beautiful, um, orchard based ciders and Perry's, which is so cider is fermented apple juice. Perry is fermented pear juice. Um, Perry is really from, uh, Hereford. It's, there's a very specific region that it comes from. And some of my favorite producers, you know, besides the Pacific Northwest are <laughs> in England, they are making these beautiful ciders that have these nuances and complexities from these beautiful cider apple trees that have been in the ground you know, over 50 years. And similarly to wine, there can be this distinct nuance you get from older trees. Not always, but um, it's really fun when you go and you see these giant trees that have been in the ground for longer than you've been alive. I don't know about that. No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, Me, maybe not you. Yes. (laughs) So... So the Northwest, we're, we're we, you, you know, you're kind of painting this picture that we don't like rules. We want to be creative. We want to, you know, I don't want to say be defiant, but we, we're going to push the envelope and we're going to try creating ciders using interesting combinations. You mentioned habanero earlier, pineapple, you know, watermelons. I've seen watermelon ciders, cherry, perry, all these things, red currant. Currently, what are you seeing is the trend right now? In, let's just go back. We'll, we'll try to rail this into Washington. What's kind of the trend that the cider makers are? What are they? What are they doing right now? Is there kind of a noticeable trend that you can see? Because I can see from what I'm what I'm observing, and it might just be because I'm looking for it. I'm seeing a lot of barrel aged ciders. I'm seeing a lot of cider that's finished off in a whiskey barrel, giving it that that whiskey uh, taste, which I find. Personally, I, I really like. I had one the other day. Um, I honestly thought I was drinking bourbon. I didn't think it was a cider. It was very, very whiskey forward. There was a lot of uh, liquid left in that barrel when they made the cider. <laughs> it was, yeah. It, um, and I liked it. Don't get me wrong. But it, it didn't. It was more. It was whiskey forward versus cider forward to me. Okay. So what are you seeing? What what what's what are the cideries working on now? In, what's kind of the the wave that we're exploring these days? Yeah, I would say there's kind of these two paths, and they're really defined by cider styles. So I'm seeing the average drinker in the Northwest in Washington being way more educated around whatever they're putting in their mouth than elsewhere. Um, you know, my sister lives on the East coast. I just went to visit her you know, after the pandemic, finally got to get on a plane, go see her. And, you know, I'm appalled by what's on the shelf there and what the bars have. And, you know, you ask for a cider and they're like, well, we have some apple juice. You know, I, I, I am so proud to be here where people know what they're drinking and ask questions. And so what I'm seeing is that people are starting to see that there's various categories that ciders falls into, right? Like when you walk up to the bar, you don't just say, I want a beer or I want a wine. 
and they hand you something. You know, it, we are a little in that phase right now with cider is like, cider, I want a cider. And they're like, great, here's one. But if there's a whole category, just like beer, you know, you have to specify like, I want a hazy IPA or I want a Pilsner. Cider is the same. Um, and I'm seeing people starting to appreciate that. They're like, like you, you're like, I like barrel aged ciders and I really like it if it tastes like whiskey. There's some nice smoky peatiness. I, I want that. Or I'm also seeing on the other spectrum because I'm finding cider is really steered by the distributor, right? The distributors mm-hmm. have a lot of power and where cider shows up on the shelf, you know, you're at your local grocery store, it's usually right next to the beer here. Mm-hmm. If like I was out in New York recently, it's usually next to the wine there. Um, Mm, And so depending on who your distributor is and what shop is, you know, if you're at Met Market versus you're at Fred Meyer or something, you're going to find something uh, different in where it's placed. And you'll hopefully the cider will then correspond in that way. You know, if it's on the beer shelf, if it's cool, you know, in, in a can, for example, Hopefully you'll find there's more like barrel aged or there's a a flavor to it. Like there's a lot of hopped ciders that are really beautiful, dry hopped with citrus, floral, resiny notes. Um, Mm -hmm. But then if you see it on the closer to wine, hopefully you're also seeing more like single varietal ciders made with one specific apple. Like it could be the Kingston Black, which has those tannins and the acid. And you don't need to add something to that. And it, it can show up really powerfully, you know, like a Syrah on its own as one grape. Um, so cider can be, it's, we're kind of, you know, in both, both camps and it really depends on who's selling it and how they're selling it. Um, but you can, if you're really big into wine, you can find those ciders that are really terroir driven. They're really about the apples. Um, they're way drier usually. But if you're like, nah, I'm like more in the fun house. I just, or even your, the, the type of day you're like, I just want to hit the river and I want something canned that I can just sit back and relax. I'm finding there's people who know now that they, they like say uh Spanish style and they want that sort of the VA, the volatile acidity, that like sourness to it. And that you can seek that out now, which is really fun. I'm not familiar with the Spanish style. So can you, can you elaborate on that? I mean, yeah. Yeah, So the Spaniards, um, again, it's very regional. They make cider in Asturias and in the Basque country. And, um, you know, once you get in there, they'll, they'll fight for the death, like who started making cider and who's better and, um, (laughs) go in with a grain of salt. But um, they they make uh, almost more like pet nat or natural ciders. They they usually make it very fresh. Like they crush the apples in the fall and they drink it in the spring. And if okay. you go to Spain, if you go to these regions and you are looking for cider, there's a, sort of a window of time when they will serve it to you. And oh. um, there's uh, it can be a slightly more sour. I find when you get Spanish cider here, it's a little older, you know, it's put in bottle and sat on a ship. So it becomes more ripe, but much like sour beers, like my fiance is really into sour beers, like farmhouse sour, um, Spanish style ciders will have a lot of those qualities. Um, there'll still be fruity floral, not necessarily sweet, but like there's a lot of nuance there. And, um, 
I'm starting to see some producers here now making what they'll call Basque style cider or Spanish style cidra, um, just to give pay homage to the style that's out there, which is very different from say the style in England or the style in France. Okay. Thank you. So if we've got 70 cider makers in Washington state ish, 70 ish, could be 65. It could be 82. We don't really know for the sake of this episode. It's okay. It'll change tomorrow anyway, right? It will change tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) What are you noticing? These are for the most part, my, my understanding, and this is, let me say what my understanding is. And you can correct me if I'm incorrect. Um, Just be gentle. These seem like they're mostly smaller companies. They're not um, giant you know, conglomerates, these are more, um, I don't say mom and pop, but family, you know, multi-generational families doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, the father may own the orchards and the kids may be working with dad to get the apples, you know, type thing, younger generation. So how do I want to ask this question? I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like, in your opinion, what's like the production, how much production are these cideries making? Cause like one guy we had on before we had Jason Spears on from Locust Cider and they're, 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 they're producing a lot of cider. I believe, I mean, they've got multiple tap rooms. They're kind of present in places. You can see them in Costco, you know, they're, they're, they at least give the appearance that they're a larger manufacturer. Whereas I just had, on and it went live today. The episode went live today, the day that we're recording this, that went live with Union Hillsider. Yeah. And they're smaller, obviously, much smaller. Is Union Hill more the norm in your opinion and size wise? Oh, okay. Oh, so, yeah. so these are still kind of um I'm struggling with what's the word I'm looking for. Craft. In the, I was gonna yeah. say backyard. I don't mean it, I don't mean it like but they're yeah. smaller, smaller entities. Yeah, and I would you guys say- um, 60% of the cideries locally in, in Washington or Oregon too, um, are, are in that really small, I even call them nano cideries. They're making under 10,000 gallons a year. It's really small. Okay. So so 10,000 gallons. So, so what's above 10, don't say 10,001, but what's above 10,000? What's the next level of production that you would, you know, if you can define it. So we got nano, right. what's next? Then I would say, then there's micro cideries and they're maybe making, I mean, I, I I've never defined it specifically, but like okay. 50,000 gallons maybe. And then you, right. you still get to small batch um, making maybe a hundred thousand gallons. And then okay. the, even the largest cideries locally, there's only granted, the cider you're going to find here on the shelves is almost all independent craft, tiny, tiny guys. There are only two cideries making cider in our region that are owned by larger, uh, like international corporations. So, um, if you find a cider, you're, you're generally going to pick up someone local, which is awesome, but yeah, they're generally smaller. I see a lot of that. Like, um, we have a family farm, you know, the cost mm-hmm. of apples doesn't really keep the lights on. And the kids are like, I see um, a real benefit to a value added product. Let's mm-hmm. try cider. And so you get folks like Union Hill, where they've got this beautiful orchard, and they're now able to keep the land stay there as a family actually turn a profit. 
you know, and, Mm -hmm. and they've got a tasting room, they've got beautiful apples they are growing very specifically, they're very conscious about wanting to make cider, they've they've got cool varieties, like these red flash varieties, where you cut an apple in half, and it's pink inside. So, Mm -hmm. so you see a lot of folks like that, they're like, well, we have the land, maybe we even have the trees that are like 50 years old, but we can top graft them and make something that's going to be more specific to this end product we want to make. And so one way that we as the association, we're helping these small guys because the biggest hurdle, like it, I I will say making the cider is really not that difficult. You know, like you can find classes, there's, there's ways of learning how to make wine or cider, but what's, what I find is really, really hard is getting in front of the consumer is finding that shelf space. Like I said, distributors often control that, that, that way. So um, if someone has a tasting room, it's just like the concept of a farmer's market, right? Like if you're going to find the small guys, you have to like find a hub of that. So we created the Northwest Cider Club to help with that. We just launched in late 2020. So it's, it's really new for us. And we're kind of finding out how to do that. But there's a lot of folks out there that want to help the, the small independent craft ciders. And they, you know, it, it's so new. There's so many brands. It's like, how do you pick? So we're picking for you, you know, we're a trade association, nonprofit on staff. We have one of the first dozen pommeliers in the country, um, which is like a sommelier. She's trained up. She knows her shit. She knows the knowledge around cider. And, and we are picking really high quality ciders. They're for the most part, very dry or up to three bricks. So drier on the drier side and we'll, we'll curate it around you know, maybe it's cider styles or apple varieties. So you can learn something about it and learn something about the makers. Okay. I'm going to ask you to pause. Cause you, you, I've got two questions, one to educate me and two, let's give, who is the person that is on staff that's trained? Her name is Jana Daisy Ensign. And she has been in the biz for a good 20 years. She used to sell wine and beer and okay. then moved into cider. And now I snagged her Ray a, a couple of years ago. She joined our staff. Well, and the only reason I ask who and how is because I can't, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the word that you used. Um, so anyway. Pommelier. Um, Think of sommelier. Pommelier. Sommelier. Yeah. Palm fruit is um, the term okay. for apples. Okay. Palm fruit is a category. So we turned it into pommelier. Pommelier. Okay. And then you mentioned three bricks. That's a term I'm kind of familiar with in the wine industry, but how does it apply in the cider industry. Oh, totally. There's so much debate about how internally in the insiders, like how do you talk about dryness, right? Like everyone I know, almost everyone, there are a few people out there who will admit that we're human and we love sweetness, but you know, I used to sell cider at a farmer's market and people would walk up and I only like a cider that's dry. And I would give them the driest cider we had. It was barrel aged, has some serious tannins, had no bricks, zero bricks. And they'd be like, Oh, what is this? I don't like this. And that was because we don't have a great shared language around what we mean by dry. Like people don't want cloyingly sweet. And so they're like, don't give me the cloyingly sweet alcopop. But like, they're also like, well, I don't want it like super astringent and like going to like dry my palate out. So there's this all this debate about, well, how do we talk about that? How do we all get on the same page? And there isn't a conclusive answer I can give you right now, but the way we're talking about it with the Northwest Cider Club is in bricks okay. level. And so it's a, a way you can measure sweetness and actual sugar in a fruit or an end cider. 
And yes, wine will measure and they'll actually go out and, you know, they'll be at the crack of dawn, like testing the grapes. Like what is the bricks level at? Is it the moment to pick? Um, Apples, we're more looking for ripeness in the apples and whether, you know, they're falling off the tree or not, for example. But bricks is one way to measure sweetness. And in fact, I think um, Seattle Cider Company has a, a, a not a, a like a bar graph where they have okay. bricks level written there and they'll tell you where where it is. Is it like dry to sweet based on the bricks of the end cider? And I'm seeing that more and more on cans or bottles. All right. So let's come back to the cider club though, because this is kind of a cool concept. You guys are, I'm reading from your, you're offering the country's best craft cider from more than a hundred independent cider makers from the Bitterroot Valley in <coughs> Montana <coughs> to Oregon's <coughs> Willamette Valley and the famed orchards of the Wenatchee. Yeah. yeah no. So just think, yeah, Montana, Oregon, and, and, and Washington. I, I kind of poke fun at everybody. How so? Tell us about this. How are you guys curating? Are these themed for the month that they're coming out in? What's what's the what would people receive if they were going to sign up? Yeah, so much like a wine club, it's um, a quarterly subscription. So you sign up and you're like, "Hey, I'm into this. I want you to send me cider quarterly." And you say either I want six bottles, four bottles, ten bottles. I think we even have twelve. Um, oh. so you pick what you want. There's two different club ideas where you can have the discover box where you want six bottles that are, um, usually smaller. Um, so they're easier to drink on your own and, or cans and, um, they're, uh, more accessible price, or we have an elevated cider club where you're like, I'm a huge cider geek. I know exactly what I want. I want these 750 milliliter bottles, like wine, wine style bottles. Mm -hmm. And I want the higher priced guys. I want the stuff that's usually orchard select or estate grown. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you can mix and match. If you're like, well, actually I want to try them all. We've got, you know, we can combo them or you can do multiple uh, sets. So, and we're only picking from, uh, our members. So they're independent cideries here in the Pacific Northwest. And then yes, we are curating based on a different theme every month or every quarter. Uh, so last season was um, all cider styles. So as we were talking about, there are a lot of folks learning about various styles. And this new one we just released, um, which will be shipping out just after Labor Day. So think fall apples. Um, mm-hmm. so as I said, there's a lot of folks and there's a lot of Washington cideries in this next box that are estate grown. They're, um, growing very specifically for cider varieties. And we want to highlight that, um, there are some single varietal bottles, but then there's some where people are very specifically like I am making a crab apple cider and I'm going to put several crab apples together and blend those and show you what we've got. So, um, it's, nwciderclub.com, so Northwest Cider Club. And really the idea is if you want to try cider, but you don't know where where to start, you want someone who knows what they're doing, will pick for you. That's us. And this next season is going to be so fun. And I'd love to dig into the various apples with you. Great. Before we go there, I've got a question. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm imagining a scenario, a box has been delivered to my doorstep. I open up the box. I'm finding a, an amazing bottle of cider that I just, you know, I've never heard of before and it's not on the shelves at my local grocery store. 
do you guys help make it so that people can like, I, I want more of this brand X cider, whatever it might be, you know, um, how can, you know, and if I can't find it locally, so some, so coming back to the distributor question, because I would think that the goal here is that we really like what we're getting in the box and we're going to want more of it. Absolutely. So, so do you guys help with that? How can, yeah. Or what? So there's two okay. ways. So one, I would say always, if you know, there's a brand you like, um, tell your local store because they mm-hmm. really respond to the customer saying like, Hey, I really like union Hill. I really want you to bring them in. And you know, mm-hmm. the cider will do their best, especially if they have a distributor in that area or a lot right. of these small guys are self-distributing, which just blows my mind. They're driving their product around every day, which is a lot of work. Well, no, no. I was talking to Union Hill, and I think this was a one-off, so we're not going to say they do this, but they actually flew <laughs> a, a delivery from Wenatchee to Cleona. Oh, my God. I don't think that that's like just fun. Cost- <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I don't think that that's a money-making endeavor to think so. in, a, in a very small plane because he he mentioned he's just got his pilot, you know, he's got a pilot's license. Oh, yeah. And so like, I think they did this. it kind of for, for fun, you know, they'll go fly to fly to Cleona. <laughs> So, but yeah, the self, they're the ones I've been talking to. They're, yeah, they're self distributing. I told you, passion, man. They are so excited about their product. They will fly the cider to you. We'll put that in the I would think, I, I would have said it'd be, they'd be a little more passionate if they would have like ridden the bike from Wenatchee over, blew it to Cleveland <laughs> and back with, with a wagon of cider or something. Anyway. <laughs> so, yes, we can reach out to our local, our local grocery stores or, or bottle shops. Yeah. So, the second part though is um, if you check out our map, so nwcider.com backslash map, or if you just end up mm-hmm. at nwcider.com, you'll see it's first thing. Um, but we have a filter there. So if, if you want to, there's, so there's three things. One is there's online shopping. And the bright side of the pandemic is a lot of folks started an online store. So you can often get the cider, like even if it's made in Wenatchee and you live in Seattle, a lot of folks are not distributing all the way to Seattle yet. If they're in Wenatchee, they're really small guys. And so you can get that shipped to Seattle. Um, So there's a filter on our map, nwcider.com slash map, um, Mm -hmm. where, where you can say, I want to know who's selling online. And you're like, okay, great. Union Hill has a a store. They're getting a lot of attention today, but they're a good example. Um, And uh, you can, you can get it wherever you are, there's, there's a, a lot of, um, nationally, there's a lot of cideries that can ship to like 48 States that allow alcohol. Right. So if you have people outside of Washington listening to this, right. it's possible. And we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And they, you know, um, but, well, yeah, I'm looking here like Eagle Mont wine and cider in Port Townsend. They've got an online store, uh, dragon's head cider in Vashon Island's got an online store. Alpen Fire Cider in Port Townsend again, online store. So, yeah. Okay. So, so this is great that you can, you're helping. Absolutely. And then right. a lot of the ciders, you know, they're so small. If you write to them directly, they'll tell you where they are. And many of them on their websites have cider finders and you can see what store has it. A lot of local bottle shops are, are where it's at when you want to get small brands. Okay. But yeah, I would awesome. say for those listening outside of Washington, mm, 70%, I would guess, of the cideries in Washington do not distribute outside of the state. So that I, it's really fun that way because it's very regional. You get to mm-hmm. visit Washington and bring something back you can't get anywhere else. But right. like I said, online is, we're really into that market now. 
Okay. So let's circle back because I interrupted you this coming fall box. You wanted to talk about the apples. Yeah. Okay. So apples, like, like you said, with the, um, the last apple project, they all have these really beautiful stories and histories. And it's really fun not only to taste an apple and know what it's going to make in cider, you know, like you're looking at the acid, the sweetness and the tannins, but you also, it's really fun to know the backstory where an apple came from or who bred it and, you know, did it, mm-hmm. was it from the U S or was it from somewhere farther away? So we made an entire box, this new season. Um, it's all on apple varietals. And one of the apples that has a really fascinating story and was almost lost is the Harrison apple. And we've got a, a featured cider in there from Rootwood cider. They're in Manson off of Lake Chelan and they've got mm. an estate grown Harrison apple cider. It's a single varietal in there. It's beautiful. It's got these fruity characteristics. It's light, it's lower ABV than like a wine. It's probably around 7%. Um, they're growing 500 Harrison trees. If they're some okay. of the only Harrison apple trees in the country because this apple was almost lost. So this apple in um, before the American Revolution, people loved this for cider. And Thomas Jefferson writes about it at some point and says, you know, this is a really special apple. I want to make sure I have it on my estate. You know, so it was well known as an apple that you could just take one variety and make a good cider out of. And then at some point it disappeared. We had, um, you know, the country shifted the demographics of who was here. We had a lot more beer drinkers come into the country. Um, and cider kind of went on the downhill and with it cider varieties. Um, but luckily there's some apple geeks out there, like the, the lost orchard folks. Um, and the Harrison was rediscovered on one tree. There was one Harrison tree in New Jersey in the seventies. Um, and luckily it was an, uh, apple geek who was like, we've got to, we've got to save this and we've been able to propagate it again. You can, I don't know if you know this, but apples, um, the, every seed in an apple is going to give you a different apple. And so I did not know that to make exactly that Harrison, you actually have to graft it. So you have to take cyan wood, which is the a little baby branch. You cut it off and you put it on a new apple tree. Um, it's like cloning them because if you just pick an apple, that's the Harrison and then plant that seed, you're not going to get a Harrison tree from it. That's an, I had no idea about that. That's, that's, that's fascinating to me. Actually, that's kind of mind blowing, right? Yeah. And I don't want to go into the science of it because it'll make my head hurt. (laughs) Let's let's just keep this fun and light, but that's actually fascinating. And maybe we have to revisit that. So I think this is really cool. And I'm looking at, so you've got, um, you've got a Porter's perfection. So that one's a fun one. Can I tell you about it? So Porter's Perfection is this crazy apple that you can recognize on apple trees because they fuse together when they're growing. Like instead of one orb, you get two orbs growing, you know, as what is that, that twin called? Siamese twin. Is that? Conjoined. Yeah. Conjoined maybe. Conjoined. Conjoined. It's maybe more PC too. Um, Yeah. Or or they might even do three, right? Like, Uh, these, these apples are crazy. I don't know why they do that, but they're a a quintessential bitter sweet apple and they've got a lot of tannin to them. And so there, we have two Porter's perfection ciders in there. One, the apples are grown near Wenatchee and one they're in Tyatin. So outside of Yakima. And Mm -hmm. so I always find I, I geek out about this where you get to try the single varietal grown 
you know, in one place and you go however many right. miles away and you get right. the nuances there as well as the cider maker doing different things. Right. No, this is, this is really cool. This, this box looks like it's kind of a fun thing. And I think it's a great way that you're helping the cideries get their product out to other, you know, interested people that might not, you know, I, I have not tried any cider from Port Townsend, for example. Oh, you are, might be delicious. you are in luck, man. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm in luck that I haven't tried. Yeah. You've got, no, you've I'm got t- a treat ahead of you. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, so that's, see, I haven't tried that. So that's cool. I could get a box and you know, who knows that box might have something from Port Townsend might have something from, you know, Montana. That's fine. It's kind of fun. No, no. I, like I mean, I'm just saying I don't go to Montana. got that word out there. Oh, Montana. It's a joke. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm kidding. Montana is a beautiful state. It really is absolutely beautiful. But our thing is all Washington. So I got to ask you, how did you, what's here? Obviously you've, you've said you like to geek out about this and all that. Where did this come from? Where did this, this geeky passion for apples and how did, how did you curate this? Gosh, I mean, I've been geeky about food for a long time. Like there's just something marvelous when you put something really good in your mouth and, and you get the backstory. You're like, well, this farmer found this seed in, you know, Tuscany and they brought it back and they've been growing this crazy red radicchio or whatever. And it just makes it, the story is really wonderful. And then the, if the food product is really good or beverage, I'm all about it. Um, and so I, you know, in high school, I was teaching myself how to bake bread. I just, I just love getting my hands dirty, doing things like that. Um, okay. And with my British connections, I was over in England and I, I had a challenge to myself, you know, what is England doing? That's good to eat or drink. And, you know, you could roll your eyes and be like, well, nothing, but actually <laughs> if you're a little more enlightened, no, no. you're like, okay, I'll, I'll work at this. They've got incredible cheddar. For example, I went and visited some cheddar makers, beautiful cheese makers. And I was like, well, actually there's this cider thing. And I've like had a little in, in Portland and what is this? And I, I fell in love. I went, they have this, a cider route in Herefordshire. There was this incredible cider maker out there who spent a lot of time with me. His name's Tom Oliver. He makes Oliver cider. We spent like two hours just tasting through ciders and talking about tasting notes. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I, I thought the whole like wine notes was just like BS. I remember telling someone in college, he was like, Oh, what notes do you get? And I was like, that's BS. You're making all that up. But I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to say, but it's not made up. And if you spend some time paying attention to what's in your glass or what's on your palate. I was totally wrong. There is actually, you get those nuances and you don't just make it up like, Oh, notes of cherry and Oak, I suppose. Um, this guy in England was awesome. And he spent the time and then he was like, you know, I meet a lot of people who come through my tasting room, but like you seem extra passionate. Maybe you should do something with this. So I came back home to the Pacific Northwest. I won't tell you I live in Portland, but, um, and I will we'll edit, we'll edit that out. <laughs> I, and I just, I'm so lucky that there's actually a thriving industry that I can be here to support and, and back and chit chat with, you know, like these makers are so passionate. I learn something new every time I, I hang out with them. All right. You, you saw me kind of make a chuckle about, you know, British food and the, you know, the, yeah. the bad reputation yeah. it has, which is completely wrong, but it is, oh, it's, it's valid just reputation, <laughs> but it's, you know, but, but, but at the same time, like cheese is delicious. Their ciders are great. 
They make some good beer. I mean, they've got things going for them. It's not, you know, it's not completely bad. But <laughs> Until they like serve you French fries with a lasagna and you're like, what are you doing, man? Are you kidding me? No, I've had that. Yes. French fries with lasagna. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Talk about no rules. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm, a lot of carbs. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of carbs going there. All right. For, for your palate. What type of cider, you know, where do you fall? Like, do you like the sweet cider? Do you like the, the dusty, super dry stuff? What, where are you at these days? Cause it might change. I mean, tomorrow you might be in the mood for something else. So at the time of recording kind of what's your, where do you fall in the spectrum of ciders? Yeah. Well, clearly I'm not going to give you like a, I like this X, but I, I, what I found is that the situation really dictates what I want to drink. And I drink a lot of cider, but I also, I drink other things. I won't tell you what other things I drink, but, um, you know, there's, there's the situation where you're like just at a barbecue in someone's backyard and you just want something sessionable. Mm -hmm. You're not really thinking about what you're drinking. You're just having fun. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll want something really bubbly. I'll want something, um, with a little sweetness. I'm definitely not, I'm in that like anti cloyingly sweet category camp, but I also, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like a one bricks sort of a lady. Like I don't want it very sweet at all. Um, but I know people who are like, give me the juice. I really want it to taste like juice. And that's cool. There's cider for everyone, but I would say, but then, you know, if I've like taken the time to make a really beautiful cheese plate, and I want it to pair well, I probably want something that's more like a single varietal. And I love learning about what apples will do. And, um, you know, there's, there's some, some magic to cheese and cider where you just really can't go wrong. They just get along well in your mouth. Like you can't go wrong putting cider in your glass and some cheese in front of you. And there's something about the fat and cheese, which would go into like pork and other fatty things that the acid and cider really mixes well. And, and so if I'm taking the time to make a beautiful cheese plate or whatever, I, I also want cider that I've taken time to think about and learn and single varietals or a blend orchard estate. Like that's where it's at. Um, where someone else has also taken a lot of time and thought and harvested and, and matured that cider over some time. So you, I'm trying to break my habit of starting every question with the word. So, and I just did it. (laughs) (laughs) What is another food pairing that goes well with cider that might not, that might seem unusual when you say it, like you just said, cheese and cider go really well together. And and I absolutely agree with you on that. That seems um, obvious to me. Can you suggest a couple, one, two other pairings that might not seem so obvious? Yeah. Well, I, pork is the other one I said, and that I would mm-hmm. definitely highlight, like whether you're going bacon or you're going a pork slider or something, that's easy peasy. But I would also say one of my very favorites, and my fiance will give me a hard time. If I need comfort food, I want Thai food. I like, I'm all about Thai food. Salad rolls really do it for me. Uh, pad thai, okay. curries, you know, all of that. So, um, I, uh, there are a lot of lighter ciders that will pair well with spicy or just the like lighter, well-balanced flavors in Thai food. But, um, I loved visiting Thailand. I took a cooking course and they really, um, 
talked about the balances. They've got um, the salty, the sweet, spicy, and uh, is it umami? Am I, I'm trying to remember what, what they put in front of me, but I think the umami okay. would be kind of like the fish sauce or the dried shrimp. Um, and they actually on the table, even if you're buying from a food cart, will have four things, little jars in front of you. So you can doctor your food to be in the balance you want. Um, right. but they also give it to you well balanced with those four, um, in front of you. So all to say the Thai in that region, they really know what's up when it comes to food. It's well balanced. I really like to pair that with a lighter cider. And I say light, like not heavy, um, barrel age necessarily, something that will mm-hmm. hold up to something a little more spicy, some fruitiness, um, a lower ABV also. Cause if you think, well, I think of Thailand, I was really, really hot when I was there the whole time. You want something mm-hmm. a little right. lighter that'll just refresh you. Refreshing. How do you feel about like Perry's? Are you, a, are you, a, are you, are you personally a fan of Perry? Huge I mean, fan. And something fun, okay. another fun fact for you that you may not know is pears have various sugars in them that make them sweet. And sorbitol is one of them. That's just naturally in a pear and sorbitol for some reason, yeast can't deal with that. So it doesn't, mm. um, doesn't get fermented out. So Perry's usually have a little bit of sweetness left that a cider, uh, won't have. And so if you ferment Perry all the way dry, it's still got a little bit of just a light note of sweetness from the sorbitol. We had a, um, recorded an episode with Peter at Snowdrift. Peter's awesome. And, and that episode will be live by the time this episode goes live. So people might've listened to it ahead of time, but we were sitting outside of their tasting room. Um, tractor was going off and it was not the most, the audio quality was probably not to where I would like it, but he was, he was great, but we were, we were talking and I've had their, um, the Perry that they have. And I, I'm drawing a blank as to the, the official title. From Snow- yeah. And it's not an inexpensive bottle. It's like a bottle of wine. I mean, it's, it's priced like a lot of wines, which is fine. I mean, it's, but it's not just a, I would argue it's he's, a, a lot more accessible price wise than a Washington wine. You're going to find ciders that are like half that price usually. Yeah. yeah. But his, he was telling me the process that they go through. Yeah. And I was like staggered by the amount of manual labor. So much involved in the in that pair and the years that it takes yeah this thing it was amazing plant pears for your heirs because pears are so (laughs) slow growing and that's literally Mm -hmm. what peter has done peter was one of the founding members of the northwest cider association so he's one of those Mm -hmm. seven that was here at the beginning and right his orchard's 30 some years old and it's like mature and producing and there's so much flavor. And he was there before, like when everyone was like, you're crazy, you're making cider. What is that? But yeah, it was just his story about the, about that was just fascinating to me. And, you know, and, and his enthusiasm for it just, 
it's not, it's not like gushing out of him, but you can just absolutely tell this man is incredibly passionate about what he's doing and the products that they bring to market. It was, it was a lot of fun. And did he tell you pair, about how temperamental pears are too? Just like when they sit no. on your counter and you're like waiting for them to ripen, you kind of have to watch them because as soon as you look away, they're going to ripen. It's because kind of like an avocado, just like an avocado. <laughs> to me. Well, even worse, <laughs> pears ripen from the middle out. And so when you're like oh. pressing on the outside, you're like, well, it's not quite ripe. It's because it's the middle that's that's going to tell you. Oh. So you have to check the neck, as the pear commission says, check the neck. But with with pressing pears, it's even worse because they go from rock hard, you can't do anything with them, to like ready for about five seconds, and then they just turn to mush. And actually, if you get too mushy, in back in the olden days, they actually add straw or hay. I can't remember which one doesn't have the seeds. Um, it, because you need to create pathways for juice to exit the press. And if you have just smeary, mushy pear, it will not exit the press Maybe. and it will drive a cider maker crazy. I had no idea. No, he did not. He did not elaborate on that to me. That's even more it makes it even more impressive now i mean when okay i had i did not know those guys are awesome wow. i love snowdrift they're really they are forerunners they've done things they've done cider really well for a long time in a way that has really benefited me and the association they're really open to sharing their, their knowledge and their passion yeah i got it, it it comes through when you go there we were there for a tasting one day and he was he was the one serving us everything and he was great and so i approached him i said hey how would you like to be on a podcast he's like sure and I'm like, <laughs> you know i i think you know he's saying you have a podcast now people will talk to you it's 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 interesting it's i should i could i have asked him hey you want to talk to me for an hour about uh cider making you probably go kind of busy but um nah, maybe. but he was like yeah sure no and he like that they would say yes no no but i'm joking but here he here he, you know he and he and i we were scheduling back and forth and he's like hey i've got these things going on we'll come and so i went out there which and i mean it's, the grounds are beautiful and it's it's he's just a nice guy same with union hill and um um ben up in chelan at, at um steelhead oh ben yeah steelhead's so fun and nice. they've got a tasting room so you can try or a bar, yeah. many brands. Right. He's so great at creating community that way. And they have live music yeah, all the he, time. Right. He was our very first guest on the podcast when some somebody else was hosting it. We went up there and he was he was he was great. And we had a lot of fun there. And you know, kind of comes back to that second generation. Parents have the parents have the archer. Now he's he's doing something. But then the other the other uh compare now I'm gonna ask you this and we'll put people on the spot. This will be fun. So the I've noticed a thread with two of the cider makers. Ben admitted, and I think I haven't listened to that episode in a long time. And I don't even know if it's up, so I might have to go find it and republish it. But Ben admitted, so when he was in college, he started making cider because it was a cheap alcohol to get. It was cheaper to make cider than it was to buy. But you know, he went to WSU, so it was kind of a party school. The joke, it's a party school. So I thought that it was funny that he was making cider in college. And in Union Hill, their very first batch they were letting it age in a closet and 
they were they were like, oh, yeah, this wasn't very good. And so Ben's kind of like, oh, it's not the best thing in the world either. But so is that how cider makers are getting started as their college students looking for <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that story a few times. I made cider okay. kind of like that. It was after college, but I was dating a guy who was like, oh, I know how to make cider. Just throw some yeast in and then you like throw it in a 90 degree room and you'll make cider. And well, it was terrible. Um, but you can <laughs> ferment sugar into alcohol that way. It's true. But I think a lot of cider makers got in just because they, they tried it somewhere and you kind of get that bug and you're like, wow, this is so different and unusual. I guess we're all kind of hipsters. We're like, oh, I want something different and unusual and it's super local. And then it's got this like base palette that you can add so much to, you know, you can add hops and get some floral notes, or like I said, you can add berries or whatnot, or just barrel age it. But um, the the base product is so malleable. You can do a lot with that. Right. No, I just think it's, I'm kind of poking fun, but I think it's, I like the creativity and the ingenuity and the, the low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, it's, you can, and back when I was in college, brewing our own beer or cider, yeah, it wasn't really, that wasn't an option. It just, the equipment wasn't available like it is now. I mean, now home brewing, all my friends are home brewers and they're brewing their own beers. Some are making ciders. <clears throat> so things have changed. So what haven't we talked about? I feel like we've covered a lot and, but I want to make sure that we've covered as much what else did we miss anything? What haven't I asked you that I should ask? You? Oh, I, you know, I'm sure we could talk for two more hours, but um, I think we covered a lot. I, I would just say one more thing about the map. Um, oh yeah. The, so it's very cool. Yeah. Our Northwest cider map is, is really easy for you to make your own route. So if you're going traveling anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, there are cideries there really. So if you're like, I really want to go to the Okanagan and BC you, you can check out the map and, and make your own route, see how long it takes to go between producers. You can see what their opening hours are and closing because it's all on the Google platform. So it's connected to their business. Um, and I would say that is hands down the most fun thing you can do. Like when you go and meet the cider maker, you see their orchard, you visit their tasting room. It's almost always the cider maker they're serving you. Like you said with Peter at Snowdrift, because these are really small mm-hmm. operations. So you get to meet the person who really knows about the product. You see their passion. You get to see the place. Cause if you see, you know, an urban tasting room in Seattle, you're going to get one vibe. If you see an orchard out in Chelan, you're going to get a different vibe. You kind of know where they're coming Mm -hmm. from. Maybe they're really into sustainability and you see they've got solar panels everywhere and wind generated and whatnot. Or you'll see that, you know, they're really into unique flavors because um, half the team is from Taiwan or something. And you've got like a bitter Mm -hmm. melon flavor. That's a thing too. That's a cidery in Seattle. So um, I love, love, love going to visit the cidery. And if you know already, you know, this summer you're going out to the Oregon coast or something, just check out the Northwest cider map and visit and, you know, make it as part of your day, your hike and your tasting room. And then you're staying at a cool hotel or whatever. Um, it's mm-hmm. really fun to just meet the maker and, and see what's up and see what usually they have ciders there that can't get anywhere else. Cause they're just experimenting and it's only at the tasting room. All right. So where can people find 
go ahead and give the URLs. We'll put them at the show notes below, but go ahead, tell them once again, where can they find the Northwest Cider Club? Yeah. So the Northwest Cider Club, we make it really easy. NWCiderClub.com and the map. We also try and make that really easy. NWCider.com slash map. So the two websites are just that one is a, the trade association, the nonprofit Northwest Cider Association. And the other one, we made a website for the club specifically. We hope that you'll subscribe and have fun and support the cideries. And um, all of the money that we make on the cider club gets reinvested right back into the cider industry. So um, it's a fun little closed circuit in that way. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. I learned a lot, which is why I do this because I get to ask the questions that I want to know and somebody can listen to it if they wish. I always appreciate it. And I learned a ton here. You have been great. And, and thank you. I appreciate your time. I really appreciate yeah. being on here. This is fun. And, you know, go Washington. <laughs> there you go. Go Washington. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.